Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. On behalf of Pastors David and Nicole Binion, thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church. Now, let's listen to today's message. Uh, guys, this, what a great day. I, I told you that uh, at the begin, at the end of worship that the Lord is in a good mood. You know, I'm also in a good mood. I think I, I, think I live most of my life in a good mood. Um, Nicole wonders how that happens. It's like I, there's this, I, I can remember one day where I had a bad day. I was in my 20s, and, uh, and that was it. I got over it just like that. Uh, and I, don't, I was just kind of working really hard at the church. And uh, so, uh, but then I was just like, I, this is not meant to bring me down. It's supposed to lift me up. And so I've been up ever since. And uh, so I'm in a good mood. You know, it's like, um, you know, when, when, when Gracie says, Dad, you sure are handsome. That's just rare. But when she does, that really means, that really means, would you hand some over? But, but when she's sweet to me, when she's sweet to me, I'm like, here, you want $100? <laughs> uh, because she's living on her own. I want to make sure she can take care of herself. When, uh, I love it when, uh, when my kids just are affectionate, like, Cole is just the sweetest. He comes up at different times, and he'll just kind of rub my shoulders, and I'm like, I really needed that. That was, uh, but he's just the sweetest, gentlest spirit. And Carson, um, Carson just makes me smile. I'm in a really good mood today, and uh, uh, so if if we can even relate, God being in a good mood, what? is in store for us when we make him smile with our worship. What is possible? We don't, we don't do it. We, we don't try to manipulate God. To, we, you know, we just pursue him. And then he just lavishes us with incredible, incredible things. So today, I want to talk to you. The title of my sermon is Favorite House. You have a favorite house? This one, that was a good answer. That was quick. That was quick. But I'm just talking about living quarters. Uh, you have a favorite house? I want to tell you about my favorite house. Um, I, actually, I have a few favorite houses, but I'm going to start with my favorite house as a, as a little boy. Every time um, I could take all of you on a tour downtown McKinney and show you all of the places where some of my formidable years of development occurred. My house was located at 116 South Bend Street, McKinney, Texas, 75069. It's still there. The house is still there. I love to drive downtown, and every time I get, I'm going down Louisiana Street. I'm getting close to the square, and I get to binge. And I have to turn right and drive down and see the house I grew up in. Uh, this address was and will always be special to me because it was home. 
Every street corner between our house and the square holds fond memories for me. And every time I drive downtown, I like to share with anyone who will listen. I, uh, I love the place where I grew up. And I assume everyone else would love it as I share it with them. <laughs> Memories on the square. I remember going to Duke and Ayers when I was four years old. You ever heard of Duke and Ayers? Duke. Only what? I'm <laughs> Duke and Ayers. It was right on the square around the corner from my dad's furniture store. And I remember when I was four years old and mom pulled up and parked uh, right by the courthouse and went across the street. And she came out with three puzzles for my birthday. <laughs> Earlier that day, uh, my brother Bobby and I were fighting, which fighting means we were yelling at each other. Uh, we never hit. I was... I, did, I was afraid I'd get whipped if I hit anybody. Uh, but I remember we got in trouble. We had to sit in the hallway. And it seemed like forever. But at the end of my time out, Mom called me into the kitchen, and it was my birthday, and she had made a birthday cake. But she had made two birthday cakes, one for the family and one little small one just for me. I mean, what kind of life is that? You just got in trouble, and you get a birthday cake? I remember going down to the square to the barber shop, but that was usually when we got in trouble. If whipping didn't work, there were times when uh, we would get, uh, we wouldn't tell on each other. I always threatened to tell, but none of us ever told on each other. And if we wouldn't tell, then we'd all six get whipped. And if whipping didn't work, they'd take us to the barber shop and we'd get one of those buzz haircuts. The barber shop is still there. Just blocks away is the church I went to. Had some amazing encounters with Jesus in that little church. It's right across the street from the Presbyterian church. It's not a Presbyterian church anymore. But just a block up on Davis and Benj is the house we grew up in. And across the street, the corner was the Presbyterian pastor's house. And he had uh, three kids, two older sons, Doug and Keith, and they were my brother's ages. And then they had a, a daughter named Jackie. And she would always come over and play with me and my sister Lisa. She was our age. And so there were times we weren't allowed to cross the street. But we'd go out on the corner and we'd say, Jackie! Jackie! And she would come out and her dad would let her cross the street and she would come over and play. Just a couple of miles was the school I went to. Miss Treble was my fifth grade teacher. I was her pet. There were, you know, you ever drive downtown, you ever go down McKinney and you see those old houses they've restored? When I was a kid, 50 years ago, uh, those old houses had fire escapes. So, so what, what that meant was there were these huge, uh, I mean, those houses were big. They're big now, but they were really big when I was little. And so we would, we would get, you know, mom, we'd get to walk around the neighborhood as long as we were all together. And my older brothers started climbing up the, 
the side of the house, and we'd get on those fire escapes and slide down. It was so much fun. Uh, I remember I just have powerful memories connected to my favorite house. Playing in the backyard. Y'all, there was, I remember this one time. I was singing to the top of my lungs. Like I was yelling out, Jackie, I was singing. My voice was so high. And I was singing this old hymn. It was a, it was a rope swing. And I just remember uh, it was so much fun. I felt the wind, it just felt like the wind. I'm just swinging as high as I can. And I just feel the, the breeze as I'm swinging. And I start singing this old hymn. In the beautiful city. Of the sweet forever. And I'm just, I just remember the wind blowing on my face. Where the river of life, but much higher, goes ebbing by, ebbing by. I don't even know what that word meant, but I was singing it. We'll look upon the city of the sweet forever. And happy we'll be while the ages fly. And it just felt right. I'm flying in the air on my swing and just singing. I wonder what the neighbors thought. <laughs> Under that same tree, I remember bringing out... The, the lawnmower, and we decided we were going to build a helicopter <laughs> with the lawnmower. We get two big long boards and somehow attach it to that thing in the middle because every time you pull the string, those old uh, lawnmowers, you could see that thing spinning around, and of course, there were propellers on the bottom. We thought if we could just, my mom came out and said, What are y'all doing? We're playing helicopter. You better get in this house or I'm going to play helicopter on your butt. My mom was like that. She was. But these, okay, we had cat funerals in the backyard. My brother killed a cat. It was a stray cat. I'm not going to tell you how he killed the cat. But then we had a funeral for it, and we just cried. And then my brother set the backyard on fire. And then they set the garage on fire. It was, an, uh, it was not an attached garage. It was a separate garage. And they set the garage on fire. And then they set... They were playing. Uh, my brother Jimmy was playing with his uh, chemistry set. And something exploded and it caught the garage on fire. But they were playing with matches. Uh, my sister once was playing with matches in the bathroom. She was sitting on the toilet. Striking matches over by the roll of toilet paper. And, if sure, you know, toilet paper will burn if you put a match to it. And the next thing, it got, got, just kind of got away from her, and it fell down on the rug. That was, you know, the, the rug that goes around the edge. Of the, and so she jumps up. Now she's panicking. So she, she picks up the rug, and she went over, and she put it. We had this little hamper for the dirty clothes, and she threw the burning rug in with the dirty clothes. We set the house on fire. She set the house on fire. I remember just down the street, I, every time we go downtown McKinney, we pass this alleyway. It doesn't even have a street name. It was just an alley. And I don't think it has a, a street name now. But you, if you left my house and walked just half a block, 
that was the alley that you take straight down about three blocks maybe to the back entrance of my dad's furniture store that was on the square. And uh, I remember when I was a kid, I was a bedwetter. There was no winning. I was just, I wet the bed. But, I, you know, it's like they discovered that I had an issue with my kidneys. In fact, they took me and had me tested, and I had a hole in my kidney. And so when one of the indications about kidneys is your, your skin starts peeling on the palm of your hand. That's what the doctors were checking. I was getting ready to start first grade. I'm still peeing in bed. Uh, so they know they've got me scheduled for surgery. Now I'm going to get back to the alley. So, so one day, uh, we were always building forts. We were building forts. So we took all the chairs from the dining room table, and they're all lined up each other in this back room. And, and I, I somehow uh, were playing, and I'm laying on top of them, and I fell asleep on the top of those chairs. But I wake up in excruciating pain. And it, had, it was my kidneys. And I don't, you know, I really don't even understand what caused the pain. But uh, my mom has gone to the grocery store, so my brother Jimmy called my dad at his furniture store. And my little chubby dad came running out of the back of that store. He ran down that alley. And he walked in the house, and he picked me up, scooped me up, and set me on his lap. And he put his hand on my stomach, and he said, in Jesus' name. And when he said, in Jesus' name, immediately the pain was gone. So they take me two weeks later into to do the surgery that was been scheduled. And they're like, we're going to go take him and do some x-rays. And so they go in, and they spend two hours trying to find the hole that used to be there. And I didn't pee into bed anymore. <laughs> uh, should I say that? Should I? Can I? Too late. But these are my stories. And no one I ever share them with will appreciate them as much as I do. This is my life locked up in the memories of my favorite house. So now I'm going to give you my text. Hopefully this will all make sense. Acts, the 15th chapter, and the 16th verse. I could give you the context and tell you what was happening here, but I think for today, I just, I'm just going to read it and, and dive in. After this... I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up. So, y'all, I've got a computer and I've got a stack of uh, notes here. I printed them off because you never know if the computer's going to go haywire on you. Um, I find myself wondering why God wants to rebuild that house. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David. In the NIV, it says the house of David. In the message, it says the house of David. Why wouldn't he want to re rebuild Moses' tabernacle 
in its originality. That was the first heavenly dwelling place built by human hands. But even grander than that, why wouldn't God want to rebuild Solomon's temple and all its splendor? Why did God say he wanted to rebuild David's house? It's almost, if you could hear him say, it's like you could hear him say or hear him whisper, because this is my favorite house. Because of the memories. I believe that God has treasured memories of events in that house that haven't happened anywhere else. So today's sermon is not about um, a mechanical reproduction of David's tabernacle, but about the rebirth of the passion that caused it to be built in the first place. Catch that. David's tabernacle was less structure and more about the event. Church today, churches today have become more about the structure and less about what goes on inside. Lord, let that never be the case. We're thrilled with this room. We're thrilled with this black carpet that needs to be repaired already. If you look close, we can show you places that they're already going to have to replace some of it. But we are thrilled with this black carpet. We are thrilled with this wall with no LED screen. We're thrilled with the sound panels with that fabric on it to make you thought it was decoration, but it's really sound panels. We love it all. But that's the difference between a house and a home. The distraction of the structure versus what happens inside. That's what made 116 South Bend Street so vivid to me. There were other houses we lived in. We moved after a while over to 400 South Waddle. You know where Waddle? You ever see Waddle? If you're driving downtown McKinney, down to Louisiana, you will pass Waddle Street. So we moved uh, a little. It's, when I was a kid, it seemed like a long way, but uh, I, it's not that far at all now that I'm an old man. Let me jump into my adult years. Talk about other favorite houses, 207 Tolliver Court, Franklin, Tennessee. That was the first house Nicole and I bought. We lived, uh, we lived in other rental properties before that when we first got married, but this was the first house that we purchased as a couple. And with it, its own set of memories that endear that place to us. Our friend Susan, who has watched our kids for 24 years, lives across the street in a townhome uh, from the house 
and so we go to Nashville a lot for business, and so we'll and we'll go stay at Susan's house, and it's right across the street from our house. And every time we drive to her house, we see our house, and there's these these memories. I remember when Gracie was three and four, entertaining us in the kitchen. We have videos. She and Cole would sing together all the time. Never ending, never ending entertainment. But it was just so adorable. Oh, I almost told you a memory I had in that house that I shouldn't. It was kind of inappropriate. If you really want to know, ask me after church. It's the time I accidentally pooped my pants. I said it. There we go. But we laughed and we laughed about that. I remember playing the piano at the bottom of the staircase. We'd just seen Polar Express and we bought the soundtrack and our kids sang in the car constantly the soundtrack to Polar Express. And I remember we'd been, been out one night and we came in and Nicole had the kids upstairs getting ready for bed and, and I'd sit down at that piano and the lights were all out except just a, maybe a small lamp in the kitchen. I'm there and I'm playing dun 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 you know the song? Dun 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 Then all of a sudden, Cole heard me playing and he stepped up at the top of the stairs. And this little high-pitched voice starts singing along while I play. And it was the most endearing moment. Memories of another favorite house. But let's, let's, let's get back to... David's house. Let's get back to David's tabernacle. If the passion of David's heart can be restored, that's what James said. We think Paul wrote the book of Acts, but he was, he was telling us what James was saying, that I will rebuild, I will rebuild the tabernacle. I will rebuild the house of David. If the passion of David's heart can be restored, then God himself, he said it in this, in this passage, will assist in the rebuilding process of the tabernacle or the dwelling place. Of all the structures, the tents or temples that have been built and dedicated to God, why did he single out David's little makeshift shelter on the top of Mount Zion and say, this is the one I'm going to rebuild? The answer to this question threatens many of our most cherished ideas about what church is and what it isn't. It's curious that God didn't choose to build Moses' wilderness tabernacle. It's the original recipe. Moses' tabernacle is the beginning. It's the tabernacle concept revealed in its most purest form. On the other hand, many of us would choose Solomon's temple in its multi-billion dollar splendor. Why didn't God say he would rebuild that royal dwelling place for himself. David's little makeshift shelter barely even qualifies 
as a tabernacle when it's compared to Moses' tabernacle, certainly when it's compared to Solomon's temple. It amounted to little more than a tarp hung over some poles to shield the ark from the sun and the rain and the elements. Yet God said, I'm going to rebuild that one. Evidently, what is impressive to God and what is impressive to men are two different things. When God said, I'll return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up. That indicates that David's tabernacle was propped up in some way by man. How do we know that? Nothing that is held up or sustained by the eternal God can fall down because he never gets weak or tired. God seems to be saying, I know that David's tabernacle was a tabernacle of man and that man's hands grow weak and weary. So I am going to begin the process that strengthens mankind and leads them back to the same house David had. Because that was my favorite house. For some reason, the Christian world has forgotten that God has never been impressed with the buildings. There are pastors and members who have little makeshift structures And they constantly battle for earthly recognition as a legitimate church in town. I mean, you get to say, you know, we're we're building dwell and we're meeting in a hotel ballroom. And you certainly face that concept. Do people accept us as a legitimate church? So you can see how people can go there in their minds. Our attachments to steeples and stained glass can get in the way of real worship. If given a choice, God prefers passion over the palace. David wanted to construct a temple. But God told him he wasn't interested. If you look closely at the Bible scriptures describing the dedication of Solomon's temple, you'll see God saying this. If you or your sons at all turn from following me, then I will cut off Israel from the land which I have given them. And this house, which I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight. Israel will be a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And as for this house, which is exalted, everyone who passes by it will be astonished and will hiss. Don't get too big for your britches. That sounds like something my mom would say. You remember Jesus' disciples remarked about the magnificent beauty of Herod's temple in Jerusalem. These things which which you see, the days will come in which not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. 
Yet God never said such things about David's tabernacle. He says just the opposite. He seems to be not saying thrown down, but rather, can I help you prop up the poles once again? Can I help you restore what time has stolen and what the weakness of man has allowed to collapse? I want to preserve this house. The memories of man encounters mean so much more to me, God seems to be saying. Y'all stay with me. We want God encounters, but God wants man encounters. Encounters with his children affect him. He will rip veils and interrupt time to visit with his kids. There are times when Carson wants to tell me a story and I'm busy, but when I put my schedule aside and sit down and give attention and listen to this long story about cowboys getting shot square in the chest. Is he smiling over there? Can he hear me? Or if I spend time with Gracie or Cole, go shopping, that's Gracie, or see a movie, that's Cole. It makes vivid memories for them, but it makes treasured memories for me. The most powerful component of David's tabernacle began long before the actual tent was constructed. It began in David's heart while he was still a shepherd boy, learning how to worship and commune with God in the fields. It came to full bloom during his campaign to return the ark to Jerusalem. His campaign, his campaign is important to us because it's a picture of our journey to return God's presence to the church. Somehow David captures something of the essence of God, something that no one else seemed to accomplish. Don't understand how it all works. But I do know David's passion for God's presence is crucial. I hope when we read about it that it is also contagious. Ever since we started building Dwell Church, the people, not the building. I'm glad for the building. But I've had this sense. You see the movie Field of Dreams? If you build it, he will come. If you say yes to my call and start building my people in the Dallas area, if you build it, I will come. It's been our driving force. We want a building. Yes, we want a building. It's part of the process. But more than we're building, we just want to encounter Jesus. We want to, to, we want to build passionate people. We want to grow passionate people so that every time we gather to worship, we're not trying to work you up, but we learn how to live a lifestyle of passionate worship. And then we come in this place and the passion becomes contagious and our worship ex- becomes explosive. 
And then the, the visitors are like, something is going on in here. I got to come back. I don't know what it is, but I got to come back. Something feels like home. Remember that David is the only man in scripture described this way. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. I'm convinced there are two meanings to this phrase, after mine own heart. The standard interpretation is that David was a man who was like God's heart or or whose heart was like God's heart. I also believe that David was a man who was constantly after God's heart. He was a pursuer of God's manifest presence. His determination to bring the ark of God to Jerusalem is living proof of his passion for the presence of God. The second interpretation is supported by David's record of of his intimate spiritual walk with God that we find in the Psalms. He's always, he said, my, my soul follows after you. My soul follows hard after you. That says a lot. There's many similarities between the tabernacle of David, the temple that Solomon built, and the tabernacle of Moses. The tabernacle of Moses and Solomon's temple featured three distinct enclosed areas. The outer court, the holy place, and the holy of holies. A great veil made of heavy drapery was stretched across the tabernacle to separate the holy place from the holy of holies where the ark of the covenant rested the ark was gold covered was a gold covered wooden box originally built by moses according to the instructions he had received from god its lid was fitted with solid gold figures of cherubim two angelic beings and angelic figures facing each other with outstretched wings the space between them was called the mercy seat. And this is where the flame of God's manifest presence hovered. The ark, the mercy seat, and the blue flame of God's presence were always hidden behind the thick fabric of the veil. Imagine that the flame stayed burning but it was hidden from the side of all of the people of Israel. God never did like that veil. Wow, come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had to have it, but he never liked it. When Jesus died on the cross, God was the one who ripped the veil from the top to the bottom in the temple of Herod. He ripped it in such a way that it could never be rewoven. He hated that veil like a prisoner hates the cell door. It represented the wall, the dividing line that separated him from mankind. Until that day, 
on Calvary, God had to hide behind the veil to preserve the life of fallen humanity. So I think the missing ingredient in the key of favor at David's house, at David's tabernacle, was it was the only one of any of these structures that had no veil. It's kind of crazy. So David had gone through this process trying to get the ark, and he messed up drastically, and Uzzah died. He had to learn how to handle the holy. You know, we've said to you, uh, we've been invited to carry the glory, but to never touch it. He wants us to handle it, to carry it on our shoulders, but to never touch it. It's never to, you you get what I'm saying, I'm going to try to uh, take that apart. But the, the reality is, God really doesn't want to be separated from us. He'll do everything possible to destroy things that separate and hide him from us. He hates sin because it separates. He hates sin because it separates us from him. God went so far to rip the veil of his son's flesh on the cross. At the same time, unseen hands ripped the veil in the temple of Herod from top to bottom as if to say, I don't ever want this thing rewoven again. I'm tired of being separated from my kids. God doesn't just want visiting hours with his children. He wants full custody. He's broken down the middle wall of separation. We are his house. He doesn't want to rent us like a hotel room. He wants to live in us. He wants to dwell in us. We're starting to pick up some of the clues that tell us why God liked David's house better than the others. Moses followed God's directions better he, he built a tent or a tabernacle that's, that it, was a, it had suspended walls around it uh, by a 15-foot high linen wall on a wooden framework around its outer perimeter. In contrast, there was no veil and no walls of any kind around David's little tent. Nothing separated man from God's flame in David's house. The only thing encircling God's presence in David's tabernacle were the worshipers who ministered to him 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year for an estimated 36 years. How, how, How could that even happen? How could that even happen? He, he, you think he would have learned his lesson about what 
he had to go study for three months before he could even get the ark and bring it to Jerusalem because, because of what had happened. Uh, it, this was serious business. If you didn't handle this right, you'd be stricken down. But somehow David had this prophetic realization to place this ark under a tent with open walls and surrounded it by worshipers. He would station them. He would, he would have, there were thousands of people that would be in rotation that would come and worship and they would have a break three hours and then someone else, I'm just throwing ideas. Someone would come and they would worship and worship and worship and then they would take a break and another group would come in and it was this worship that lasted 24 hours a day for 36 years. During that time, if David woke up in the middle of the night, one scripture gives us the indication that he did. He couldn't sleep. He could hear the chanting, the singing, the tingling of the cymbals coming from the tabernacle. He could look from the hillside that was next to the quarters where he lived and see the shadows of shuffling feet dancing around the ark, illuminated by the flickering candlelight and the lamps. Perhaps it was one of those nights when David said, bless the Lord, all ye servants of the Lord, which by night stand in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Another psalm he said, he, he, he watched it and he, he, and he wrote, I'd rather, Tanner quoted it, during the opening of the service, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the tents of the ungodly. He said, if I could just get close to the door of access, I just want to be near him. I just want to be close. David's tabernacle was unique. In every other place of worship where the Ark of the Covenant was housed, worshipers had to worship what was behind a veil without ever knowing or seeing what exactly was there. Only the high priest could venture in behind the veil and then only once a year. We can't even fathom the regulations. In the, in, and at that time, the high priest had to uh, sew bells, little bells on the bottom of his garment and we, as he would go in and dance. If, if they could hear the bells ringing, they knew their sacrifice had been accepted. If the bells stopped ringing, they knew the man was dead. and they would have, He was tied to a rope around his ankle so they could pull him out. It's, it's, we, we don't even know what it's like. Can you imagine having to gather here, stand outside on the parking lot and send me inside and hope that God would hear what I had to say? <laughs> Tie a rope around my ankle. If there was silence, we start tugging. He was a good old boy. I got to land. 
the miracle of God's favorite house can be traced to David's desire for God's presence. When he finally got the ark, it was a 15-mile journey on foot. Carrying this ark on the shoulders of the high priests. Stopping every six steps, sacrificing. It was a bloody trail. Just the prep time, knowing that you have to have so many animals ready for the, for, I mean, who, 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 who organizes that? How, how do you even work that out so that you've got the animals available to sacrifice? And then every six steps, one, two, three, four, five, six, slit the animal's throat, shed the blood. I mean, they're walking carefully to get this thing to Jerusalem. No wonder David danced so crazy. We made it! We made it! That's how I feel about getting to this room. Last Sunday, I just wanted to say we made it! We made it! We're here! But is he here? And if he comes, what will cause him to stay? Somewhere in the process of transporting the ark, David began to value the things that God values. His wife, on the other hand, valued dignity over deity. The curse of barrenness was placed on her. Intimate encounters with God are sometimes embarrassing on the stage of man. The landscape of American Christianity is littered with barren churches who have turned their backs on the intimacy of worship. These are modern-day Michaels who've chosen their dignity over intimacy. David wasn't after the gold. He was after the flame. He was after the glory. He said, I have to learn how to carry the flame. We can build nice buildings. We can raise up large choirs. We can write better music, preach greater sermons, We can do everything with more excellence than before. But if we're not carrying the flame, then God is not pleased. Dwell church, hear me. We must carry the flame. Our worship, our worship is the priority. It is the effort to stir the fire of passion in the hearts of of the people here. No flame indicates no fire, which results in barren buildings and hollow hearts. 
Somebody needs to say, it's cold in here. Will somebody start the fire? Let's turn up the heat of worship. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Okay, I got to stop. We want to get God's attention, but once we get him to visit or once we sense his presence settle down among us, sometimes we say, ah, yeah, that was it. That was it. We stop. We get the goosebump and we stop our pursuit because we think that was it. We think the goosebump was the finish line. There's so much more. Uh, So we say, oh, he's here, but will he stay? What can we do to get him to stay? That is, that's what we're after. It's not about us. It's not about the thrills and the chills. (laughs) We don't want a temporary visitation. We don't want just our weekly chill bump. Could there be a day coming when God's people will provide 24-7 worship to God? Worshiping and honoring him 24 hours a day, seven days a week. With very few exceptions, church sanctuaries are the most unused rooms in America and around the world. There's a steady stream of us going to 24-hour convenience stores. Our churches can barely operate two hours per week because the demand for our product is so low. We got to cultivate the life of worship. I'm not saying we got to prop open our doors, but we're going to do it more than we have been. We have a place that we can now. That's why morning prayer is so important. You may not, I don't, I don't know if you've ever had a morning prayer time at a church. Uh, I know Larry Lee had us all going to churches all over America and the world. Six o'clock every morning was one of the most powerful moves. But somehow uh, the enemy got in and thwarted this divine effort. God just wants to be with his kids. It doesn't have to be a palace. It can be a stable in Bethlehem. David, you know, uh, someday I'll I'll do better. I want to build you a place. And God said, a tent will do. Just build me a tent. Just keep your heart hot. Are we willing, and I'm done with this, are we willing to rediscover what David learned? I wonder what it meant to God to be able to sit in that tabernacle in all of his glory, to be seated right in the midst of his people without any veils, any walls separating him from his creation for the first time since the garden. So let's do this. Let's turn our face to him now. 
and ask him, what do you really want? Why don't you do that? Why don't you just ask him that in your heart right now? I want you to close your eyes and ask him, God, what do you really want from me? The answer could change your life forever. God, you can have my heart forever. You can have the, you can have the passion. You can have the desire. You, God, you're my everything. Like Moses going into the promised land, you were going to send him because of this hard-hearted people. You were going to send him into the promise and you were going to send an angel and he said, God, if you don't go, I don't go. Lord, I don't want to be in this building if you're not with us. I don't want to pastor a people if you're not with us. I don't want to lead them if you are not everything. If you are not the center of everything we do, if you're not a part, if you're not the main focus, Lord, we must have your presence. May we discover how to make Dwell Church your favorite house. May we cause you to have memories that say again and again, I must get there. They're going to have prayer in the morning. I have to be there. I want to hear what they're going to say. I want to see if they're just going to show up and they're tired or they're going to really pursue me at six o'clock in the morning. I want to be there Wednesday when they have worship and prayer. I love the way they sing. I love their heart. I love the, I love the flame that I see in their eyes. So God, grip us, grip us, grip our hearts, grip our hearts. Let us know what moves you. Thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church.